And I believe, look, we, we filled this place up, praise God, in the middle of the summer. I don't know that that's supposed to happen. We're supposed to be at the beach, but how many of you know that just one moment in God's presence is like a million vacations? I'm not used to this. No one in New York City saved yet, so they don't clap as much. You saw that story. How incredible was it to hear the story of that young Muslim girl accepting Christ? We baptized her at our last baptism, and she's the first Muslim on both sides of her family to ever convert to Christianity. Isn't that amazing? And that's something that only the inner working of the Holy Spirit can do. Why don't you turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. Yes, we're going Old Testament. <laughs> 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. Now, I also want to encourage you, if you have the View on Church mobile app, uh, you can find the Bible in there as well. So 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. And this message is just for V1 Indiana. So this is an exclusive. You're not going to hear it anywhere else. You're going to hear it only here for you today. And I really wrestled with this because... I'm a prophetic preacher, and I don't want to tell you something that sounds good. I want to tell you something that sounds like it's the heart of God for you in that moment, in that day. So is that cool? Okay. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. In other words, he loved him as his own mind and emotions and will. Verse two, and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant, everybody say covenant, with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe. That's nasty, but it's not, follow with me. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and his sword and his bow in his belt. Let's write this down in our notes. The robe represents possessions. There's an exchange that's happening in this moment between Jonathan and David. Now let me give you some background. David is this poor shepherd boy who has now become a giant killer and his influence is beginning to increase in the kingdom. Jonathan is the son of King Saul. So he's literally royalty. And they have this moment where their souls begin to experience a love for each other that provokes them to do an exchange. Somebody say exchange. Okay, I want you to get this in your spirit. The robe represents possessions. You know that you're coming into covenant relationship because there's an exchange of possessions. This church has been on a multi-month journey as we prepare to plant. And it's funny because New Yorkers are giving their possessions to people in Indiana, and Indiana's giving their possessions to New York. As a matter of fact, one of our New York campus members, his name's Drew, donated his own van so that this campus could have a van for load in, load out. Isn't that amazing? But that's covenantal. There's an exchange of possessions that happens. I think that Pastor Chrissy Angelo's laptop is being used right now for this service. How many of you are thankful for Joe and Chrissy Angelo as they're helping to shepherd this house? So the exchange of robes represents the exchange of possessions. Now, the world cannot create that phenomenon. 
The world cannot legislate that kind of unity. It's supernatural. Because in your flesh, you're selfish. You know how I know we're all born selfish? Because I have two children. Any one of those frou-frou, you know, new school uh, teenagers that's like, well, we're all born good and the world corrupts them. I'm like, you've never had kids yet. They're born evil and you gotta whoop it out of them. And when I say that in New York, I offend everybody like, we don't whoop. I'm like, well, I do, I'm from Indiana. We whoop our kids sometimes. <laughs> Whoever clapped the hardest, put them on the security team for next week. But children are born selfish and they must be taught how to be selfless. And so to give a van, to give a laptop, to exchange is a supernatural event. So the exchange of robes that you see in covenant is possessions. Next is weapons. There's an exchange of weapons, which means an exchange of provision and protection. Provision and protection. How many of you are thankful for the security team that we have here today? We had somebody join our team for the first time today, and I looked at him, I said, did you get your security team issue shotgun that everyone gets? And, and he literally was like, oh really, wow. <laughs> and then I remembered I was in Indiana, not New York. <laughs> where there is a slight expectation to get a zombie killer edition shotgun when you join a security team. But there's this exchange of provision and an exchange of protection because you see that David, they exchanged armor and a sword and a bow. And you know what else that looks like? It looks like a church, V1 Indiana, that has the type of men here that say you're not going to take advantage of that woman. You are not going to take from her because she may not have a biological father, but she's got a spiritual one in this house and I'm in covenant with her. And homie, you better have a conversation with me before you proceed. Amen? That's what real church looks like. It's an exchange of protection where you say in this house, You'll never have a need that we're not gonna try to meet because we're here for you and with you. And there's an exchange of provision. You know, I was living in Chesterton, Indiana. Any Chesterton residents here? Oh, wow, okay, okay, wow. The loudest people from Chesterton go to V1 Hobart. And I'll never forget having the vision to launch V1 Church, but I need provision for the vision. Anytime God calls you to do something, if your bank account can fulfill that vision, it's not from God. How many of you know that? Come on. If your bank account can get it done, then it's your dream. But if your bank account can't get it done, you need a God of miracles. And, and so I had a vision for V1. Well, there were 18 New Yorkers. I, honestly, as time goes on, I realized probably none of them were really saved. Like there's some people here that like, man, I love this worship song and I sing it, but I probably don't even really live for God. That was the original. If you're like, hey man, who are these supernatural juggernauts that helped launch V1 New York? It was actually um, people who are barely saved or not saved at all. I mean, literally one guy, I asked him, I said, well, what's your background in church? And he said, well, my mom's Jewish and my dad's Catholic, so I really don't know what I am. And we never went to either one of them. I said, okay, you're a believer in Jesus Christ right now. How's that sound? He's like, all right, cool, Save, sound me, uh, sign me up. Somebody else, you know, hey, what's your background? Oh, I'm an atheist, but my friend invited me. I don't really even believe this stuff, but I think it's really cool that you guys show love towards one each other. I'm like, all right, cool, you'll be on the prayer team in a year because you're about to experience the supernatural. Yeah. 
<laughs> that man's name is Darian, and Darian was on the prayer team a year later. <laughs> calling down fire. I took a video of him while he was doing intercession. And I said, hey, remember? I said, I would give anything to be able to send this video back to the atheist version of you a year ago. But see, isn't it just like Jesus to say, come follow me before you have it figured out? Isn't it just like Jesus say, you wanna change the world, you can't even change your oil on your car? So you see this exchange that's happening through covenant. For your notes, the next thing is covenant means to cut. Uh-oh. Covenant, to cut. So covenant only happens where there's blood. Did I scare anybody? All the first timers like, this church is so weird. But covenant always required cutting. And so this covenantial relationship is gonna cost you. That original 18 people in New York they just begin to give generously and finances begin to increase and we were able to purchase equipment and then one location turned into three in three years and then four in four years as V1 Indiana is getting ready to launch. Isn't that amazing? But that only happens through covenant. So in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse one, you have the exchange of covenant and then in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42, David has to leave to flee the wrath of King Saul, who's a jealous leader. How many of you know there's a lot of King Saul serving in the lead pastor position in, in churches? Okay, we're gonna have to get really real here. How many of you know there's a lot of King Saul's that'll throw a javelin at your face for doing a good job? Because their ego, they need the applause, they need the praise, they need, come on somebody. Have you been watching this narcissism series I just got done doing? And so you have this King Saul type leadership that they do ministry for the income, not the outcome. Oh, y'all don't get out of here. Y'all ain't ready. Y'all aren't ready. King Saul type leadership that literally lives for their praises and dies by their criticisms. Can't even have a good consistent day because their ego's riding the roller coaster of approval. Oh, I'm getting too real for you. Some of you are like, I'm not ready, Pastor Mike. I didn't know it was gonna be like that. First Samuel chapter 20, verse 42, you see David getting ready to flee. And then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring. Okay, do it like Sandlot, forever. Somebody just had a flashback, forever. Do you like that? And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Okay, covenant is not just between you and another person. It's between your offspring and their offspring. When you sign up to covenant with V1 Church, my generations connect to your generations to produce kingdom legacy. That means that I'm saying that my daughter, Bella, and your daughter, come on, you, does somebody hear what I'm saying? It's my offspring and your offspring. It means that if you think the spirit of the living God is manifesting here in this auditorium, you should go volunteer in V1 Kids because the covenant begins to impact our offspring. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? 
And so one of the ways that you know that God's moving in a church is the generations are activated and covenant says that between the Lord and you, but between my offspring and your offspring. In other words, iron sharpens iron. My child sharpens your child. Your child sharpens my child because we're in covenant together. I mean, my daughter Everly comes home quoting scripture to me because of V1 Kids. You know how incredible that is? You know, Jesus didn't fight the devil with a worship song. Oh, y'all aren't ready. I, I love Maverick City. I, I love that. But Jesus didn't say, oh, Satan, you're tempting me in the wilderness. Hold on. Let me go get my iPod so I can put on a good song. He said, it is written. And so our kids are learning the word, my offspring with your offspring, covenanted together, learning how to wield the sword of the spirit. How precious. Don't you think they need that when they go back to school? Don't you think that they need that when they encounter their friends and the, the, the doctrine of demons behind their friends trying to teach them the ways of the world? And then they say, wait a second, but I've learned the word at V1 Kids and it is written. That's what we need, a biblical-based church. How many of you love the word? Now I gotta tell you, if you continue to attend V1 Church, you will end up with an insatiable desire for scripture. Because why? Our leadership is salty. What does salt do? Makes you want more. And we're gonna stir up a desire for more of the more of the word. We have people signing up for V1 College right now who are saying that I wanna devote a year of my life to learning the sacred ways of God. Covenant, covenant, covenant. Somebody say covenant. Now Jesus is the head covenant keeper of the human race. And he's saying I shed my blood so that you could come into covenant with me. And then as you become more like Jesus, you become a keeper of covenant. Okay, I'm going deep right now. Here's the thing. Today, there's a lot of people here. Are you an audience or are you an army? Because an audience comes to get something for them and then they go home. But an army says, I'm in covenant with this nation. I'm not going AWOL. And so when you're in covenant with the kingdom, it's, it's different. You say, I'm, this is not an audience. This is an army. Sign me up. I'm not going anywhere. Second Samuel chapter nine, verse one. And David said, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So as you follow this narrative, there's this moment of joining together, Jonathan, David, and, and they're in covenant. Then all of a sudden we find out that Saul and Jonathan are killed on the battlefield. After they are killed, some time passes. King David secures his kingdom. He secures the borders of his kingdom. And then the second act as a king to securing the borders of his kingdom was he was a covenant keeper. So he said, I'm gonna go find anyone and everyone connected to covenant and I'm gonna honor covenant. See, Saul leadership breaks covenant. 
When you see Saul-type leadership, you will see marriages broken throughout the entire church because it's connected to an infrastructure of demonic activity. Ahab, Jezebel, come on, I'm going there. When you see that, and so you'll see one divorce leads to another divorce leads to another divorce. You'll see people start to build their own little ministries with their own little things. You'll see people always having to go out to do something instead of coming into the house to do something. And see, this is what David knew, and he secured the borders. Somebody say secure the borders. Sometimes you have to secure the borders of your house and say, if it's my house, it's my rules. And that phone you have is not your phone. It's my phone. And I'm not going to have you watching anything you want to watch on it. And you better text dad a scripture every day or I'm taking it away. If your kids have internet access, you better secure the borders. Come on. Does somebody hear me preaching? But we do the same in our local church where we say, we're not going to let you bring that culture in here. No ship sinks because of the water around it. It sinks because of the water that gets inside of it. And so you can be in the world, but not be of the world. Oh, I wish somebody heard me preaching today. But don't bring your previous church culture into a new wineskin or you will burst the wineskin. I don't care how your pastor did it. Will you covenant to let me be your pastor now? I don't care how you learned it. Sometimes you got to be willing to unlearn so that you can step into your destiny. That's why Jesus said, come follow me, because there was no seminary that was going to teach them the sacred ways of God. Matter of fact, what they knew was a detriment to what they were going to learn. And so what we do is we lay all our pretenses, all of our masks, all of our pride and insecurities, all of our mindsets, all of our opinions. Your opinion has you full of anxiety and depression. But the word of God is my opinion. So you'll never fight a battle between you and Pastor Mike. It's always gonna be between you and the word. I'm not here to protect my opinion. I'm here to protect the word. Churches are full of opinions, but they're not full of life-changing events because you've gotta make the decision. Do I wanna pay the toll of my opinion so that I can ride the road to freedom. And when you covenant, what you're saying is, I'll give up my opinion. I'll pay the high price toll of my own thought about how things should be done so that I can ride the road to freedom with everybody else that's gonna go with me. And I'm not here to tell you that we'll never listen to your opinion, but I'm here to tell you that at V1 Church, there's something about being a servant hearted covenantal person that says, I'm here to make it better. I'm here to speak into it. You have an exchange of robes. You have exchange of weapons. You have a covenant that requires cutting. It's like, I'm bleeding for you if you bleed for me. There's something about fighting back to back and side by side instead of face to face. The Bible actually says that you're not even allowed to have a human enemy. It's, come on, does somebody hear me? It actually says that we battle not against flesh and blood, but what? principalities, powers, and rulers in high places so you won't even have energy left to fight that if you're too busy fighting this. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 finds David after he secured his borders. And he's now getting ready to honor covenant. 
Because covenant never expires. Covenant is forever. That means that even when you went back to drugs, Jesus is still assigning every angel in heaven to ransom you back to him because covenant is forever. It's why no matter how hard some of you tried to leave the local church because of what happened to you, you somehow find yourself back in services like this because there's something inside of you saying covenant is forever. And he said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? There's one person remaining to honor for this covenant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God for him? And then one of the servants said, there is still a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And the servant said to the king, he is in the house of Makir at Lodabar. Man, I feel the power of God. This is a breakthrough Sunday for somebody. I feel the power of God. This man had went from being the son of the king and the, grands, or the grandson of the king, the son of a warrior. His, his father was Jonathan. And then his father was Saul to being a cripple hiding out in Lodabar. Hiding out in Lodabar. That word for your notes means the place of no pasture. Let me put it another way. Other Hebrew translations say Lodabar means the place of no communication. Have you ever been in a season where you feel like you cannot hear the voice of God for yourself? Have you ever been in a season where you feel like there, you used to be on fire, you used to be in, and now you're just out. Have you ever hidden out in Lodabar, the place of no pasture? Matter of fact, Makir. So it's, I'm, I'm in Makir in Lodabar. I'm in Hobart, Indiana. Do you see that? It means to barter. But another way of saying to barter is to settle. Can I ask you a question this morning? What have you settled for? in Lodabar? Have you settled for sickness? Have you settled for poverty and lack? Have you settled for mediocrity and a job that you hate to make ends meet? Have you settled for a marriage that could be so full of love and peace, but is full of chaos and division? What have you settled for? Because as Christians, we find ourselves in Lodabar. <laughs> Think about even the name Lo, Lodabar. And sometimes we just wander off on our own. And there is this man, Mephibosheth, who is a cripple hiding out in Lodabar. A could have been. I want you to think about your high school glory days on the Hobart football team. I want you to think about when you got number one in female lead vocal for the state of Indiana. I want you to think about when you started college and thought you were gonna get that degree and you were gonna finally make something of yourself. Have you ever taken a look back through the corridor of time and realized that you went on a journey that you never, ever, ever, ever wanted to go on? And sometimes we settle 
in Lodabar. You hear how quiet it is in this room right now? It's, that's the sound of surgery. That's the sound of surgery. Because mediocrity is a cancer that grows one day at a time, one cell at a time, one thought at a time, where you slowly but surely end up crippled in Lodabar. When I met the man that took over the leadership and the management of this venue, he was somebody just like many of us who was working a job to support his family, but he always had a dream of owning a music venue. And when I came here and I was looking out this place, I said, I don't know if this is our forever home, but it'll do as a tabernacle in the wilderness. Because sometimes you just got to set up that tabernacle in the wilderness and bring the glory down. And it might smell like beer, but it's going to feel like the Holy Ghost and glory. And I looked that man in his eyes and I said, it's so unusual to dream a dream in Northwest Indiana. And he began to get teary eyed because he said, I quit my comfortable job. I cashed everything in and I opened this venue and then the pandemic hit. And I said, well, I don't believe in accidents. I actually believe that the greatest purpose that this space is ever going to achieve is ushering in the presence of God and seeing the lost being found. And when I said that, he said, Yes, let's do it. What do we have to do to get the Holy Spirit in this place? What do we have to do? What do we have to do? He began to say that. I knew that we were in a divine appointment, but he didn't settle. He said, I've got something inside of me. It's kicking inside of me. You know, my wife and I, unfortunately, had two miscarriages. Many of you may have experienced the same pain. And it's, it goes from the announcement and the excitement to the dread and then the grief, that's the phases. And when you go through a miscarriage, I almost think it's the excitement on the front end and it's the thrill on the front end that causes you go, to go to a higher height that creates a deeper depth of despair. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And for many of us, we had such high expectations for our marriages that this man was gonna be something that this woman was gonna be something that I longed for. We had such high expectations for other churches that we we're a part of. And there's something about the, high, the height of that emotion that can actually plummet you into a depth of despair when it doesn't work out. Many of you didn't plan on being at another church. Many of you didn't plan on being in another marriage. Many of you didn't plan on it not working out, but you can find yourself in Lodabar. You can find yourself in a place where you settle and you say, you know what? I'm just gonna get by. But see, David was a promise keeper. Oh, come on, somebody. David was a figure of Jesus Christ who said, you may be delayed but not denied because I am the Lord that remembers and I never forget. After two miscarriages, the Lord said, try it again. My wife, Julie, she gave all of the baby clothes away that she had in storage. And then all of a sudden, this pregnant woman came up, bought it off of a garage sale we did in, in Valparaiso, Indiana. It wasn't shortly after that she got pregnant. And then shortly after that, that Everly was born. Because he's a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. And see, here's the thing. 
David was a promise keeper. He said, I know there's got to be someone because I remember the exchange that, was, that happened between me and Jonathan. I remember when we stripped our robes off. and gave, I remember when we exchanged weaponry. I, I've got to honor that covenant because nothing else will be right until I honor it. And how many of you know that God has a way of honoring a covenant through someone else, somewhere else, when it doesn't work out with the first person? And so maybe you sowed seeds in another church that you're going to reap in this one. Maybe you, come on somebody. Maybe, maybe it didn't work out, but God's going to cause something to happen where covenant is honored because it's forever. He saw your heart when you gave. He saw your heart when you served. And I believe that there's a Mephibosheth that's getting ready to get the call from Lodabar. You know, I think about him being crippled I think about Mephibosheth just hiding in the comfortability of normalcy. You know, mediocrity is a great place to hide. I'll just cuss like them so that they think I'm one of them. I'll just drink like them so they think I'm one of them. I'll just take a pill with them so they think I'm one of them because I'm hiding in mediocrity. You know, Lodabar is a very depressing place, but it's a great place to hide. Some of you have more anointing than I do sitting in this room right now, and you're afraid to release it because the last time you did it didn't work out, and you found yourself in Lodabar. I know I'm speaking to somebody today. Is this a breakthrough message for somebody or what? David was a covenant keeper. Mephibosheth was living off of these meager crumbs, but he had access to a covenant. And I'll just tell you, little is much. You can write this down in your notes. Little is much in the kingdom. See, Mephibosheth was just eating crumbs crippled in Lodabar, but the covenant gave him access to the king's table, to the king's table. And I'll tell you this much, little is much with the Lord. Little is much. My wife, Julie, gives away the clothes that she has in storage. It's the little bit she can do, but then a miracle happens in her body and she gives birth to Everly. Little is much. See, you could just see a small, smooth stone that's hidden in the pocket of David, but it took down a giant. Nobody, little is much in the kingdom. You can take a little rod and you can strike that little rod on the Red Sea, but little becomes much in the kingdom. And I'll tell you what, the baby Jesus in a manger didn't look like much, but little is much in the kingdom. Little is much. You might be saying, well, I'm just a poor mom and I'm, I'm in the Lodabar trailer park in Northwest Indiana, but little becomes much when God loads your children like arrows in your quiver and releases them into the enemy's camp. And out of your womb comes greatness. Out of your womb comes the preachers, the teachers, the evangelists. Little becomes much in the kingdom. Little becomes much. And Mephibosheth hadn't learned that lesson yet because he was settling for crumbs instead of believing for more. Little becomes much. Little becomes much. Oh, it's just a little startup church in Hobart. It's just a little watch party happening in the house. It's just a little group of women getting get together and praying. Oh, little becomes much real quick. When covenant is being honored, little becomes much. 
I will take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God likes using somebody little with a little bank account, with a little brain, with a little vocabulary, but a little bit of faith will move mountains. Come on, somebody. That's all I am. That's all we are at V1 Church is something little with a little bit of faith, just like a mustard seed. How many of you believe that we're going to have medically verifiable miracles before this service is over? How many of you believe that we are going to flush drugs in the toilet in the back here that made their way into this auditorium or into our cars, but are about to make their way into a toilet before the end of the service? Does anybody believe that little becomes much? A little ember can start a forest fire. Have you seen in California, entire forests go up in flames? And they're like, yeah, it was just one camping trip. Just one camping trip. And a whole forest goes up in flames. What if it was just one preview service in the middle of July was the ember in a dry region called Northwest Indiana that started a fire that we couldn't contain leading up to September? September what? September what? Come on. When Mephibosheth was in Lodabar, he was going through the routine. Every single one of you have a routine. I wake up, I don't know which leg you put in your pants first, left or right, I don't care. Some of you are coffee drinkers. The psychopaths do not drink coffee. I'm just saying, if you don't drink coffee here, you're not gonna fit. If you're one of those weirdos. But we have a routine that we go through. And we've settled. But the Bible says that I will pour out my spirit among all flesh, and that old men will dream dreams. And so when dreams start being, see, some of you want to go to sleep, but you don't want to dream dreams because you're trapped in Lodabar. And there's something about this place, like why would you ever live in that place? But can I go a little bit deeper? No one ever plans to live in Lodabar. It just happens. No one ever plans to end up in that place. Nobody ever says, I want to end up depressed, full of anxiety and fear. I want to live in Lodabar. Nobody plans that. Nobody, nobody plans to be broke and busted and disgusted with life. Nobody plans that. Lodabar is not a place that you plan to live. It's a place where you find yourself because you're hiding from the pressures. The greatest men of God are not in church right now. They're hiding out in Lodabar. The greatest singers for worship teams, and we've got some of them, but the rest of them are doing karaoke in Midtown Manhattan, drowning out their fears and anxieties in Lodabar. And I hear, I hear a sound. I hear the war drum, and the Lord's coming to ransom himself because he's calling. Is there one that I could honor this covenant? Is there one, even if they're all the way down in Lodabar, that I can send my royal dispatch to grab them and bring them? And I can imagine that as Mephibosheth was sitting at his table eating crumbs crippled, that when the king's dispatch showed up, he probably thought, oh wow, I'm gonna be punished. Oh, they're probably here to throw me in jail. What did I do wrong? 
And then they begin to grab him and say, King David has a word with you. And maybe even as a cripple, they had to drag him and take him. And as he became, as he stood before the king, probably shaking and trembling, thinking, man, I was, I just wanted to stay in Lodabar. I know it's not the nicest place. I know it's dark, but I just want to stay in that place. Why am I here before you? Wondering if he was going to be beaten by the king. But King David demonstrated the kindness of covenant to say, I've brought you here because there's something that someone in your lineage did. His name was Jonathan. He was your grandfather. And I'm going to honor the covenant that was made in your life. Some of you are here right now because your grandmother prayed for you. Your grandfather prayed for you. You know the ways of God. You know who he really is. Some of you are here because your youth pastor prayed for you. Because your pastor prayed for you. Some of you, your pastor's dead and gone. But there's a foundation of intercession that was laid that keeps calling you back to the throne room. You know what I'm talking about. And you'll never be happy 99% surrendered. You know what I'm talking about. You're not like them anyways. You drink with them, but a moment of clarity comes over you and you say, I still don't fit. You do drugs with them and a moment of clarity comes over you and you say, I still don't fit. You carry on with them, but you know deep down inside that there's a war drum that's beating in the distance calling you to assemble in the army of God. And you know what you're called to. You know the one who called you. And there's something that happened in this moment where Mephibosheth gets brought before the king and he said, I'm going to honor covenant. I'm going to honor covenant. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. I don't believe that you've got to live your life full of mediocrity and fear. I believe the Bible says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is released. I believe that you can learn stewardship over your finances and your family can continue to increase because when you're faithful with little, you become ruler over much. I believe that we're going to corner the market on real estate in Northwest Indiana because the righteousness are going to be given access to keys for the kingdom. I believe that if you don't have the knowledge that Jesus is not just a physician, but he's the great physician, then you'll just surrender to that sickness because your doctor doesn't have a cure, but my physician does. And my people, they perish for the lack of knowledge. But the local church says, wait a second, that pill cannot do what God is about to do in this moment. Mephibosheth, he was sitting at the table. And you know, when you think about being crippled, you can't see anyone's feet underneath that table. You sit eye to eye. And there's some of you that say, Pastor Mike, I was born fatherless. I'm the product of divorce. Pastor Mike, I've messed up in so many different ways. 
Pastor Mike, you have no idea. I'm so crippled. I have a hard time in crowds. I have a hard time in church. I, I feel so misunderstood. You don't understand. There's a lot of warfare in my mind. Well, I'll just tell you this. If you'll sit at the seat that is reserved only for you at King Jesus' table, everybody sits eye to eye at that table. And nobody's going to see your crippled feet under the table that we've made here at V1 Church. We look each other eye to eye and we say, you will be all that God called you to be. You will be the mother that you've been designed to be. You will be the father. You will be the minister. You will be the entrepreneur. And you look them in your eyes and you say, I can't see your crippled feet under the master's table. And you got too many churches. And I'm so sick of religion. I'm so sick of traditions of men. That they sit you in the corner instead of sitting you at the table. And I want the kind of church that's not going to put people in the corner. They put them at the table. First John chapter 3 verse 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. You know, during worship we said that is who you are. Well, can I just flip it on you? Your heavenly Father's repeating back, you're my child, that's who you are. That's who you are. So when the devil tries to taunt you, you say, I know who he is and I know who I am. And those lies don't work here anymore. Oh, what love the Father has lavished me with. Is there anybody who's ever been lavished with the love of the Father? Just wave at me if you've been lavished by the love of the Father because perfect love casts out all fear. It's warfare. I'm not giving you the spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. When Satan says, you have no right. You know what you tell them? <laughs> On this, you're right, devil. I don't. <laughs> but I know the one who's won all the rights for me. There was a custody battle between heaven and hell, and I have no right, but I'm saved by grace. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Twas grace my fears relieved. Come on, somebody. It's grace. You're right, devil. I have no right, but I serve the one who gave me all right, all access, and I will sit at that table. Come on, slap your neighbor a high five and say, let's sit at the table.